Welcome to all of our campuses. Welcome to our West Campus and our Traditions venue and our downtown campus that meets at Zoe's. We are glad that all of you are here. Have you ever had one of those experiences where you missed the moment? You know, I remember uh, years ago, our family uh, going to a Rockies game one evening. Our kids were pretty little at the time, and so by the end of the eighth, eighth inning, they were pretty worn out. I'm ready for bed, and you know, Raylene and I thought it would be a good idea to slip out a little early and beat the traffic and get home, and the Rockies were behind by three runs, and so we thought we would just head out. So as we're walking out to our car we hear the crowd go absolutely wild, right? And so we hurry to the car to find out that, that uh, Matt Holliday had hit a grand slam home run to, to win the game. Ah! You know, our, our desire for a more convenient exit and a quicker arrival at home had caused us to miss an unforgettable moment. The, the other day, we were in the mountains um, staying at a resort near Granby, a beautiful spot where people go to get away from the rat race and be surrounded by beautiful scenery, right? And so early one evening, um, we were out on the back porch, and we saw this huge full moon beginning to rise from behind the mountains. I mean, it was stunning, and we just stood there and watched it move, you know, up, watched it come up. And I thought to myself... How many people here are missing this moment? You know, maybe they're watching some sitcom rerun, you know, <laughs> or listening to music on their iPod, totally unaware of the beauty displayed outside. How many times do we miss moments like that? Moments that, ironically, moments that our soul craves, and yet because of busyness or, or distraction, we miss them. And that same thing can easily happen to us, spiritually speaking. We, we regularly come together to experience this amazing thing called, called worship, right? This opportunity to align our hearts with God and to express praise to him. It's something that our soul craves, and yet I think many times we miss the moment. We let busyness or distractions or boredom or whatever cause us to miss this incredible transformational opportunity to engage with God in worship. But we don't want to miss those moments, do we? We don't want to miss these moments. So how can we grow in our experience of worship? That's what we're looking at in this teaching series. We're spending the month of June here talking very practically about how we can fully engage in life-changing worship so that we don't miss these moments. Now, in order to explore this topic in that way, we have, we've been looking at a particular passage of Scripture that really is sort of a, a worship 101 scripture. It's in Psalm 95. If you have your Bible or your iPad or whatever, feel free to turn there. I love this psalm because it, it gives us a wide-angle perspective of what worship is. Last week, we focused on verses 1 through 5, which hones in on a particular form or aspect of worship, and that is praise, the expressing of praise to God for how great and glorious He is. If you missed last week's message, I encourage you to listen to it online or on podcast or whatever. Very important stuff. Now, while praise is a very important aspect of worship, it's not the only facet of worship. Some people define worship only in terms of energetic praise. You know, worship is only happening if there's this passion and, and this energy and exuberance. You know, they measure worship only through this one, one lens. But there is another dynamic to worship that is expressed in the next two verses of this passage. Look with me at verses 6 and 7. 
of Psalm 95. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. This is God's word. Now, you can, you can feel a significant shift in tone in these verses, right? Verses 1, four, one through 5, which we looked at last week. Upbeat, energetic, God's a great God, he's a king, all that stuff. Then we come to verse 6, and it describes a radically different experience of worship. And, and it's not one or the other, it's both and. Worship is to involve joy-filled, exuberant praise, which we talked about last week, but it also involves something else. It's what I would describe as humble intimacy. Humble intimacy. To genuinely worship God is to enter into this place of intimate relational connection with him. See, the psalmist is inviting us into this experience of worship that is deeper than superficiality. That's way deeper than just singing some songs. Now, this experience all hinges upon our understanding of this word here in verse six. Psalmist says, come let us bow down in worship. What does this word worship mean? In Hebrew, this word literally means to bow down before. Now the emphasis is not on the physical act of bowing down. There's another word used in Hebrew for that. The emphasis here in this word is on the heart. The, 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 the word is the, the, this word is the word God uses in the Ten Commandments. Same word he uses in the Ten Commandments when commanding us to not worship other gods, to not bow down. He's not talking about, um, you know, I mean, not necessarily talking about physically bowing down as much as he's talking about giving our hearts to, our allegiance to another god. That's this word. In worship, we intentionally bow our hearts, our lives, our will to the Lord. It's this very powerful place of humility, of of surrender, of voluntarily aligning our lives with his lordship. Now, notice how this differs from praise. As we saw last week, praise is to choose to declare who God is, right? And what he has done. And it can be a very powerful thing to do. Talked about that last week. Very powerful to choose to praise. But as someone has written, praise does not require anything of us. It is merely the truthful acknowledgement of the righteous acts of another. We can choose to praise God. We can choose to praise other people for the good things they have done. We can choose to express praise for any number of things, right? It doesn't really require anything of us, but worship is different. Genuine worship requires something of us. That's what's happening here. In in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus was being tempted by, by Satan, Satan led him to this high place, where he could see all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor if you worship me. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You see, this this was not 
um, Satan simply, um, I mean, this is not about singing some, some songs to Satan or whatever, expressing praise to Satan. That, that's not the, the root issue here. The issue here is a heart alignment issue, a surrender issue. Satan wants Jesus to worship him, to bow before him, to acknowledge Satan as Lord, and to surrender authority to him and control to him. That's what Satan is after here. In fact, this is exactly what he's after in all of our lives. Now, usually it's not we're worshiping Satan, but even behind this temptation with Jesus, it was not worshiping Satan. The temptation was for power and authority. That's what he's, he's after. Satan is thrilled when we choose to give our allegiance, our hearts, our worship to anything other than God to money, or to success, or to sexual pleasure, or to being admired, or, or to being in control. See, all of these things and more are competing for our worship. We regularly bow our hearts before these things. Now, you may, you may think that I'm being overly dramatic, but I'm not. <clears throat> when, when the stock market plummeted five or six years ago, and suddenly the values of people's shares were half what they had been just weeks before. There was a, a rash of executive suicides on Wall Street. A number of people committed suicide on Wall Street. When these people lost what was most important to them, they saw no hope, no purpose, no meaning in life. What is it, and we know oh, that's Wall Street and all that, but here, here's the question. What is it we think we must have in order for our lives to be fulfilling and satisfying? What do we think we must have in order for our lives to be fulfilled and satisfied? What, what is it we in our hearts don't believe we really can live without? Looking attractive? Maybe having a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Maybe having money, a certain amount of money. Maybe having our health. You know, what is it we can't live without? Those idols, even if they're good things, those idols will drive our lives. We, 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 if it's money, we'll obsess about the stock market. If it's our reputation, we're going to obsess about work. If it's our appearance, we're going to obsess about weight, our weight, how we look. Or we obsess about our possessions. We're going to freak out when someone borrows our lawnmower and they break it or something, right? We're, we're going to obsess about exercise. We're not, we're not you know, it's exercising enough. Why do we obsess about these things? Because we worship them, <laughs> right? We, we worship. I mean, not necessarily that. We worship the, the, it's the sin beneath the sin. There's something about that that we feel like we need, our possessions make us feel comfortable. You know, success at work makes us feel valued and other people notice us. See, there's, there's, there's an idol there. And that idol drives our lives. It controls our lives. This is all about worship. What we bow down to. What our hearts are most committed to. Where our allegiance ultimately lands. That's what's going on here. That's what we're talking about. So what are we to do? 
I mean, we, we all can admit, we don't need to do that publicly, but all of us can admit we have things like that. We have idols that are constantly battling for our hearts. How do we overcome them? I mean, if you're anything like me, you, you know how powerful a pull these idols can have. What do we, so what do we do to uproot them from our hearts? Well, we see the answer right here in Psalm 95. The way we uproot these idols, the way we loosen the hold of these things is not through willpower and it's not through white-knuckled obedience. No, that won't work. It will not work. These things are too powerful. If we're trying to white-knuckle it, we're going to eventually give in again. The idols are too powerful. The only way to continually uproot these things from our lives and our hearts is by continually choosing to worship the only one who truly is worthy of our worship. See, the only thing powerful enough to uproot false worship, i.e. the worship of idols, the only thing powerful enough to uproot false worship is true worship. It's to set our hearts and our affections and our desires upon God. See, that, that's a game changer. <laughs> that's a life changer. Seriously, it is that important. Our lives, and we all can probably write, you know, sign on the document here, all our lives get totally screwed up when we start worshiping things other than God. Can any of us give an, a, you know, any, give an a, amen to that, right? Our lives get totally screwed up when we worship anything other than God. Addictions, Unhealthy relationships, stress, worry, fear, greed, all of those things are the fruit of worshiping the wrong thing. Life would go so much better for all of us if we regularly engaged in worship of the one who is truly worthy of our worship. Now, here's what I love about this section in Psalm 95. The psalmist is not saying, come on, get with it. Stop worshiping these idols. Get your act together. Now, what's wrong with you? That's not what's going on here. What the psalmist is doing in these two verses is inviting us. Come. He is wooing us into this experience of authentically worshiping God. How? By focusing on our relationship with God. Looking at verse 6 and 7. This is different than verses 1 and 5. Last week, verses 1 and 5. How great God is. He's the creator. All these things. Great. You know, he's all those things. Absolutely true. But now notice the focus. It's our relationship. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. That's the invitation. Come and bow for the worship of the Lord. But notice the reason. This tiny little word, for at the start of the next verse. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. See, the, the psalmist is giving us a reason, a motivation to worship. And I love this. I mean, notice how personal this is. Again, earlier in verses 1 through 5, the psalmist talking about how great God is and, and the creator and all this incredible stuff, all of which is absolutely true. But when he starts talking here about worship, about this need to uproot idols in our lives and our hearts, he gets personal, even intimate. 
Now I know that to a lot of men, a lot of guys, that word intimate seems a bit intimidating, maybe off-putting, or maybe even a little feminine, right? But to dismiss this word is to dismiss what your heart and my heart ultimately long for. Intimacy. Into me see. Intimacy. We put up a tough front. We put up a tough front. As men, we do. But you know, we all long for, what we all long for is to be known, to be loved, not based on our performance or our ability. You know, we men spend our whole lives trying to prove that we have what it takes, trying to prove we are worthy of admiration, worthy of respect. And a lot of times it's because we perhaps never felt that from our own fathers. So we spend our lives trying to prove we're somebody. I mean, what an exhausting way to live because you and I both know it is never enough. It is never enough. Imagine how different our lives might be if every day we lived with an awareness that we are absolutely loved and accepted by the God of the universe, that we don't have to prove anything to anyone. I mean, imagine your level of joy, your level of peace, of freedom. Well, from where does that kind of freedom and, and peace and joy come? Intimacy with God. <laughs> Into me see. And in that place, I experience his love. Let, letting the glory and the love and the presence of Jesus fill our hearts. That's what happens when we choose to worship him. That's what happens. And then notice what aspects of God the psalmist highlights here. First of all, for he is our God. Notice he, he doesn't say he is God. He says he is our God. This speaks of relationship, of belonging to, of permanence. He is ours. He's not just a God or even the God. He's ours. He's on our team. And we're on his team. We're in his family, right? He's mine. He's yours. Personally. The psalmist continues, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. I mean, what incredible imagery the psalmist uses. We are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. In other words, he is our loving provider. That's what a shepherd does. Make sure the sheep get to the pasture. I mean, you can hardly read these words in verse 6 and 7 here without thinking about Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures where there's plenty of provision, right? He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. See, that, that, that's a picture of the relationship we can have with God, where he is our shepherd. He leads us into life. He provides for us everything we need. This is true for us in Christ, right? We look at this psalm through the lens of the cross because we have the New Testament 
We're on the other side of the cross on this, so we can look at this through the cross and we see that this is true in Jesus. In, in Jesus, we experience the fullness of this reality because Jesus gave his life for us on the cross. And because of that, we can find life in him. And so this is why Jesus says in John 10, 10, that I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep, for us. He laid down his life for us. We can know we're in good hands. We can know we're in his care. So, so this psalm points us to Jesus, to this place of relational intimacy and connection with him. And again, it happens through worship. Our experience of this happens through worship. Okay, so let's get really practical here. This is all great stuff, <clears throat> but what does it really mean? in terms of our experience of worship. How do we enter into what the psalmist is describing here? And not just once or twice. You know, how do we regularly and consistently worship God in this way? Experience God in this way? Okay, begin, let me mention three things here. It begins with an awakened heart. It begins with an awakened heart. We talked about this three weeks ago in the first message, but I want to highlight this again. I want to highlight something. Here's, here's the reality. The world is constantly lulling us to sleep spiritually. The world is constantly lulling us to sleep, spiritually speaking. And its primary vehicle is worship. The primary vehicle the world is using is worship, seducing us to worship other things. Right? To find our life, to find our comfort, to find our affirmation and our identity in, in things like porn or, or work or possessions or our physical attractiveness or whatever. It is this constant barrage, but, but, but not in overly dramatic ways. It's way more subtle. It's this slow drip approach all the time in our lives, what we watch, what we listen to what we read, what we think about, what we dwell on. It's constant, and it's all about worship. It's seducing us to worship. So if, if that is left unchecked, what inevitably happens over time is that our soul, our souls get lulled to sleep. They get lulled to sleep. Our hearts get seduced and start chasing after other things. That's reality for us. I think it's in Ephesians 5, Paul says, wake up. <laughs> you know, we, we need that. Wake up. Because the, the worship, we, we just start worshiping other things. We don't even notice it. Our hearts get seduced. And so what we need is the spirit of Jesus to awaken us, to reawaken in us a desire for what we ultimately long for, a desire for what we've been talking about today, a desire for what the, the psalmist is describing here, this wonderful, beautiful, intimate, life-giving experience of a living God, of worshiping God. That's what we were built for. Our soul is most satisfied in that place, worshiping him. So here's the good news. If you've placed your trust in Jesus, that desire is there. It's there. You don't have to manufacture it. You don't have to go, you know, some whatever place and try to find it. It's there. It may be buried under a bunch of other stuff, but it's there. 
Are you willing to pay attention to it and respond to it? Even now, I believe the Holy Spirit is stirring this desire in your heart as you hear me describe what happens when we worship other things and what happens when we worship God. There's a stirring. That's the Spirit calling you into something deeper than the way you're living now. Pay attention. He is reawakening our soul and our hearts to worship. Okay, the the second movement into a deeper experience of worship is an attentive heart. An attentive heart. See, we respond to this awakened desire by taking time to focus our hearts on Jesus, being present to him. Now, do you know what I mean by that? By that phrase, being present to him. Have you, let me try to explain it this way. Have you ever been with someone and you're talking to them, but you can sense they are not with you? Now, wives, no elbows here, okay? You, you can't do that. It's not fair. But, but uh, their mind is elsewhere, right? They're nodding. They're physically present, but their mind is elsewhere. They're physically present, but not emotionally present. And, and my wife would say that's a regular occurrence around our house. I'm present, but not really present. See, in order to worship the way we've been talking about, in order to not miss moments, it is absolutely essential that we be present to Jesus, that that we are attentive to him, that our hearts are focused on him. Now, this may happen through singing, through music, but but it's much deeper than that. I asked a friend of mine to describe her experience of worship. I asked her because I know she doesn't necessarily always connect with God via singing. Um, And so I wanted to hear her describe her worship, how she worships. And this is what she wrote me in an email. There are times that I'm certainly engaged with the music. I would say there are an equal number of times where I feel that singing would not engage my heart that it would, as you say, be going through the motions. I don't ever want to do that. So in those times, I typically close my eyes and visualize the lyrics. I literally see what's being sung and reflect on it. I contemplate the truth of the words of the message, the words in the lyrics, and let them sink into my soul. I also am filled with thanksgiving, praising God in my heart for who he is. And every time I intercede for others, every time, whether this be for the people in my life, people I've met, the people around me in the worship center, I am praying or singing the words of the songs over them. See, what I love about what she describes is how real her experience of worship is, but it's not automatic It's not like, oh, the music just takes her places. Just because the music starts, she just goes places. No, no, no. It's intentional. She is attentive to the Lord. Sometimes the song connects with her heart and helps her engage. Other times it doesn't. And when it doesn't, she closes her eyes. She reflects on the truths being sung, letting those truths sink into her soul and even move her to pray for others. See, I don't share that for the purpose of of prescribing worship. Oh, you need to do that. You know, you all need to worship that way. I I don't don't share it for that reason. My point is to try to give a picture of what an attentive heart looks like in worship. That's a great picture 
of what an attentive heart looks like. It's beyond the music. It's beyond what's happening on stage and whether they're on key or whatever is going on or whether we like that song or not. Or it's beyond that. It's an, an, an intentional decision we make in that moment to focus our hearts on Jesus right then. It's an intentional decision. And, and, and we've seen in the psalm that there, there are two directions we can go, two great directions we can go. One, we can focus on how amazing and awesome Jesus is, right? You are God, you are our, our shepherd, our creator, our love, our life, our righteousness, our wisdom, all that, who Jesus is. But you know what? It all, we also, in those moments, we can also focus on who we are in him. See, that, that's what the psalm does here. The psalmist says, he is our God. <laughs> And we are the people of his pasture. Notice he is applying who God is to his own situation. This is who I am in him. I'm one of his sheep in his pasture. And see, we can do the same thing in our worship as we focus our hearts on either who Jesus is, how awesome he is, or we can focus our hearts on who we are in him, our identity in him, that he loves us, period, not based on our looks, not based on our performance, not based on our GPA, not based on our abilities or our successes or whatever. I mean, you, you know, all those things we use to measure our value and worth, I, call, I refer to these things as the scorecard we all carry, right? We all carry a scorecard. Like a burden, you know, it just oh, hangs over us. This scorecard we constantly carry measuring whether we're a good parent, whether we're a good this, that, whether we have value. You know, we just carry the scorecard, whether we're measuring up or not. And you know what? The Bible tells us that basically what Jesus did on the cross is that he tore up the scorecard. He tore it up. We don't have to live under that scorecard anymore. Our identity is rooted not in our weakness, and our failures, our fears, or even our successes and abilities and all that. No, no, no. Our identity is rooted in his love, in his strength, in his grace, in his life, and in his power, in his sufficiency. So to worship God, whether we're in a church service or we're home alone or whatever, it is essential that our hearts are focused on, that we are attentive to him. And that takes time. It does. It takes time. This isn't a microwave drive through sort of thing. This is about being relationally present to God. And you don't do that in 30 seconds. You don't do it in 30 seconds. And this is maybe why we struggle to worship. Our lives are so busy and segmented. You know, we're in a hurry everywhere. And, and this is why we need church. <laughs> one of the reasons, many reasons, but one of the reasons it's important that we gather together. We, we can experience worship alone, but it's important we gather together. We need this time unhurried time to focus our attention on Jesus. We, we need our hearts regularly growing in this attentiveness to the Lord. And our worship services are a great place where that can happen. Regular practice and the experience of doing this. I mean, listening on a podcast is not the same thing. It's great if you're on vacation or whatever, but it's not the same thing as being here with other believers, focusing our hearts together on him. There's a discipline that comes just 
in being with others because we know, okay, we're going to sing now and, and we're not in control of that. The worship team's in control of it. That there's a discipline there and a rhythm to that that's important for our souls to experience worship and to grow in this. Okay, so we need an awakened heart. We need an attentive heart. One more thing. We need a surrendered heart. KG is going to talk more about this next week, but I wanted to mention it here because it is absolutely essential to our experiencing life-changing worship. The whole imagery here of bowing down, of kneeling, all of that speaks of surrender. See, it's not just that we're focusing on God's love for us and our identity in Him. All that's great. That's important. But those realities need to sink into our will, into our decisions, into our choices, into our day-to-day lives. Because here's the deal, we follow whatever we worship. We, we follow whatever we worship. So if we, were, we are truly focused on this wonderful relationship with God that we have in Christ, we will choose to surrender our will to Him. We will choose to surrender our lives to Him. And if we don't get to this place of surrender... We're not experiencing the ultimate goal and foundation of worship. Our life bowing to him. Our heart aligned with his. It's not about us trying to get him here to fit into our stuff. The ultimate goal of worship is our aligning our hearts with him. So if, if, if we don't get to this place of surrender, we're not experiencing the ultimate goal of worship. Surrender is the ultimate goal of worship, a yielding of our lives to God as a demonstration of our love for him. Now, how does this make a difference in our lives? Let me, let me state it really simply. Here, here's as simple as I can get it here. You can't sin and worship God at the same time. We can't sin and worship God at the same time. We can't. Which means, think about this, that means that our greatest power against the sins that pull at us, our greatest power against those sins is worship. Worship. When we are truly worshiping God, as we've described here, not just singing songs, but delighting in the wonder of who God is and being attentive to him, when we are truly worshiping God in that way, sin and any other things that we struggle with lose their power in that moment. Suddenly, greed gives way to generosity. Suddenly, bitterness gives way to forgiveness. Suddenly, the pull of lust gives way to the power of love. Suddenly, discouragement gives way to joy, and despair gives way to hope, and fear gives way to peace. I mean, do do you see how genuine worship is life-changing? When we take the time and we engage our hearts in this amazing thing called worship, it changes us, not superficially, you know, some emotional high that wears off a few minutes later. No, no, and and, and not through trying hard and through willpower. No, no, no. Genuine worship changes us because it affects us at the core of our being. We experience and engage in a relational intimacy with Jesus in our hearts. And that changes us in that moment. It changes us. Now the battle 
will most likely continue in the days and weeks and months to come. The battle for joy, the battle for purity, the battle for peace or freedom or patience or whatever. The battle will continue, but now we have a God-given resource, a, a powerful weapon that we can engage at any moment in time. The life-changing power of genuine worship. Come. Let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Well, I want to invite our campus pastors to come forward at their respective campuses as we all transition to a time of, of prayer and worship. So let's, let's pray. And I want to encourage us here, just in this moment, let's just, let's take a moment and just be attentive to Jesus. Just be present to Jesus right now. I believe he's awakening desire in us. Holy Spirit, we pray for more. Just awaken that desire. We acknowledge we get pulled all sorts of directions in this world in which we live. Awaken that desire. Let's just take a moment and, and acknowledge to Jesus any of the idols that we have focused our heart on, that we're vulnerable to, any of the things that try to seduce us, to worship, to give our lives to, to pursue, to obsess over rather than him. Just, just to, take a moment and just acknowledge that before the Lord. Now here's the cool thing about Jesus and maybe some of you here and you've never realized this before. Maybe this is all new to you. Jesus doesn't wait for us to clean up our lives before he comes to us. Because some people think, oh, becoming a Christian or whatever, I, I gotta clean up my life, I gotta stop swearing, I gotta go to church more, and I, you know, once I do those things, then God will accept me. That, that's not the way it works. <laughs> he meets us in our brokenness. He meets us in our sinfulness. And so, so the response that he asks for is just admitting our need and placing our trust in him, his work on the cross. That's all, that's all. And that's a continual thing. For some of you, it's maybe the first time you ever even thought about that, and I'm gonna lead you in a prayer in just a moment to, to do this. But it's not just a one-time thing, it's a continual heart posture 
We're sheep. He's the shepherd. We're the ones in need. And he's our provider. And he provides us his presence. That's the way it works. So for those of you who maybe for the first time you're hearing this thing, I never knew that. I thought I had to go to church and do all these things and then then maybe I'd be good enough for God to accept me. No, no, no. You can enter into a relationship with God right now just by admitting your need, admitting your brokenness and opening your heart to him. So I want to lead you in a prayer. You can pray along with me. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. If you understand what I'm saying, just pray with me in the silence of your heart. This is what you want. The longing of your heart is a relationship with Jesus. Pray with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I, I admit my brokenness. My whole life has just been about pursuing other gods beside you, other idols. And I feel powerless at times to overcome these things. I just confess to you my need. I confess to you my brokenness. I confess to you my sin. And I I believe that you died, Jesus. You came to where, even though I couldn't come to you, you came to me. You died on the cross for my sake, for my, and you took the penalty I should have paid. You paid for my sin. I should have been there and you took my place. You came to me, and so I am choosing right now to place my whole self in your hands. I place my trust in your hands, in your life. I place my trust there, my whole self in your hands. Forgive my sin, past, present, future, and come live in me through the presence of your spirit. Change me from the inside out. Lord, I want to pray for anyone here who prayed that prayer. Thank you. Help them grow in this relationship. That you you now live in them. They don't have to perform for that. You live in them. And you want to change them from the inside out. Now, for the rest of us here, I, I want to encourage us a similar kind of process where we just admit our brokenness, the pull towards sin. We just, we admit it to Jesus and we open our heart we've already admitted it, just open your heart to him to a deeper experience of his love and his grace he really is your shepherd he loves you, he knows what you need I mean we all know sheep are stupid animals, right? and this, this analogy in scripture is just a reminder God knows what we're like and he, he is for us because of Jesus. He is our God. So we open our heart to you, Lord. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for your your death on the cross, Jesus. That we can be in a relationship with you, an intimate relationship with you. Thank you for that. You know, tonight we get to to really celebrate this in a very practical way, to experience this in a practical way by partaking of the Lord's Supper. Um, So ushers, if you would come forward and just kind of get in position here. Don't begin handing the elements out quite yet, but if you want to come up and and just kind of get ready. Let me just explain what we're going to do. You don't have to be a member here to partake of the Lord's Supper. If you prayed to receive Christ, even if you just did five minutes ago, we invite you to partake. And the way it works is um, it's a representation of Christ's death on the cross. The bread represents his body and the juice represents his blood. 
And so in just a moment, the ushers are going to begin passing around trays and, and you'll find two stacked cups, two stacked plastic cups. When it comes by, if you're wanting to partake, take the stack, both of those cups. Just take that out of the hole and hold on to that and then pass it to the next person. And you'll see that one of the cups is the bread and one is the juice. So then what's going to happen is hold on to that. Don't partake yet. Hold on to that. When everyone is served, I'm going to come back up here and we're going to partake together of the bread and then we'll partake together of the juice. I'll, I'll, I'll pray then and just kind of focus our hearts then. And let me encourage you, again, while these are being passed, to be attentive to Jesus. It helps to close your eyes. Just be attentive to the Lord. Enjoy being his. He is your God. Just enjoy him. So ushers, if you would begin passing out the elements, that'd be great.